Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. Amen. You love Jesus. Hallelujah. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 15 through 18 tonight, Lord willing. Amen. I got good news. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming again. Tonight, we look at a powerful passage of Scripture. Verse 15 in the New Living Translation says, We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God or call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Verse 18, so encourage each other with these words. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I thank you, Lord, that that Christ, you are going to return. That, Lord, that our hope goes beyond this natural world. Our hope looks toward heaven. And Lord, I pray, I pray, God, that tonight as we we come to the table of the Lord and break the bread of life together, God, give us ears that would hear and a heart of understanding and unite us together and knit us together with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a moment and look at the context, dropping back to what we talked about last Wednesday night. Verse 13, he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. And the reason is because we don't want you to grieve like like people who have no hope. So Paul is telling us, listen, we deal with death and dying differently than the world does. We don't grieve like the world. We don't have to because our hope is in eternity. Our hope is in Christ Jesus. And he said this in verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, he is coming again. God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So our hope is in Christ Jesus. And I remember last week I said, I love that phrase, dear brothers and sisters, because this tells me this is a family discussion. This is a conversation meant for family matters, if you would, in order to instill something into the family. It's like, it's like Paul, as a spiritual father, is calling these new converts, these new believers in Thessalonica together, and he's transferring DNA, if you would, to them. You know, when you've never traveled down a path before, it helps to have a roadmap 
to help you navigate, to help you navigate the way, the emotions, and the actions. And the passage before us, all the way from verse 13 to down to verse 18, is a roadmap discussing family matters, discussing how one is to respond when traveling down a road that we all must travel down. And last week we spoke about death. And we spoke about how death is the enemy of life. Christ has come to give life. Christ has come to destroy the enemy, death. And we looked at how death is a result of the fall, the original sin. And it's the destiny of everyone. However, for the believer, death and dying is not the end. Just the, the verse that our, our, our missionary quoted was actually in 1 Corinthians 15. And it's the last verse of chapter 15. But if you looked at verse four, 54, it's this. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And then look at verse 57. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding. Why? Because you know your labor's not in vain. Because you understand that you're living life with purpose. You understand that it's not vanity of all vanities, that death is not the end, and you're not just wasting your life, but you are living with a destiny and a purpose because eternity is before you, amen? The presence of God, heaven itself. And last week, we spoke about the grieving believer. Paul says, I want you to know. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning these things. We grieve with hope. And we looked at the message translation. I love how the message translation puts this verse. It said, first off, you must not carry on over them like people who have nothing to look forward to. Talking about our loved ones who have died in Christ. We don't carry, over, carry on over them as if we have nothing to look forward to. And then it says this, as if the grave were the last word. Boy, that phrase just really grabbed me last week. As if the grave was the last word. Aren't you glad the grave is not the last word? I'm here to encourage you. Yes, we grieve. Yes, we are sad. Yes, there's a, there's a transition that takes place and, and, and the relationship changes from physical and, and we realize that and there's a grieving that we walk through. But church, the grave is not the last word because Jesus Christ is risen. We shall rise too. I'm so thankful that the grave is so many people grieve as if the grave is the last word, as if the grave has the last saying. But I remind you as a believer in Christ Jesus, the grave does not have the last word. And then he said this, we believe. And this is the roadmap. He's showing them as a spiritual father Listen, we don't grieve like the world grieves. And this is the reason we don't. Because we believe. And I made this statement. What overcomes the hopelessness of death, dying, grieving? Question mark. What overcomes the hopelessness of death, dying, and grieving? The word of God. The truth of Jesus Christ. 
That's where hope is found. Paul said this, if, if all we had was hope in this life, we would be men most miserable. If Christ be not risen from the dead, then our, then our hope is in vain. But the good news is he is risen from the dead. So our hope is not just in this life. Our hope is in eternity. Our hope is in spending it with the Father. That's the good news of the gospel. He says, we believe Jesus died. We believe that Jesus was raised to life. We believe that Jesus will return. And we believe that the believers will come back with him. It's like this. Listen, it's, it's the roadmap. And what a great roadmap for life. Amen. What a great roadmap for, for dealing with disappointment. You know, none of us like to talk about death and dying. It's just not a subject you just pick up one morning. You say, oh, let's talk about it. Oh, it's just a, it's not. None of us like to talk about these things. But every household experiences it. And when we're able to look at it from a biblical perspective, then it helps us to know how to grieve in the moments we walk through them. I'll never forget when my dad was diagnosed with cancer and he was fighting for life, going through treatment. And then when the treatment didn't reach the course where, where it was evident, the treatment was not going to work. So then he made the decision not to do treatment anymore. Now, I'll never forget his comment as he gathered all of the family around. I was in Jamaica at the orphanage, got the phone call. We made arrangements to get home. And he was waiting till I got there because my siblings were already there. And he got us all around. And, and my dad said this, he says, I've showed you how to live, and now I'm gonna show you how to die. I'll never forget it. And for two weeks, as he, as he knew that he was knocking on death's door, as he knew death was, was imminent, but didn't know the hour, my dad worshiped, my dad uh, called upon the Lord, my dad said, in just a few hours, I'm gonna be around the the Father's throne. Just a few hours, I'm going to see everything that I've ever preached about. Just a few hours. And my dad looked with anticipation. I have video clips as his body is racked by the cancer. And we're around the bed and we're singing. And my oldest brother is playing the piano. And my dad is there in the bed. And he's just lifting his hands worshiping the Lord. The best gift he ever gave his family was not only just how to live, but how to die. And I credit biblical truth. Living by biblical truth. Now, none of us, do I miss my, absolutely. Do I, do I at times get emotional? Do I, do, I, do I have times and days where I say, man, if I could just pick up that phone call and tell him, because our, our, our routine was this, on Sunday nights or Mondays, I'd call him, and he wasn't really a, a conversationalist on the phone. The conversation went like this. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Doing good, daddy. Everything's well. Hey, how was your Sunday? Oh, it was great, dad. How many did you have? So I tell him, you know, how was the offering? Oh, it was good, daddy. It was really good. All right, son. Great to hear from you. We'll talk to you next week. That was the conversation. My dad was a preacher. He knew what was important. He wanted to know those things. I can never tell you how many times I throw him money. I love, I wish I could call him one more time. 
But the greatest gift he gave was showing us not only how to live, but also how to face death and die. And it made it so much easier for us as a family. And the hope is this. I'm going to see him again. <laughs> Jesus is coming again. I'm going to see my grandparents, my, 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 my granny. She died three months after we moved here 20, 20 and a half years ago. She was a, a great woman of God. She was a great prayer warrior. She was one of the old ladies of the church. They would, they would meet at the church and they'd pray during the week. And, and um, just the memories of how she'd always talk about the Lord. She loved the fish. Every day she'd go fishing on Lake Seminole. And she'd sit there and sing to the fish. And she'd say, Jesus, help me. And she'd start singing. And guess what? Those fish would start biting. <laughs> I want to see my granny again. That's the hope we have in Christ. Well, so often, because the world don't know Jesus, they see death as the finality, the end. It's over. It's done. But hear me. The word of God tells us different. So, so as Paul is now in the context in verse 15, it's like he's saying, turn away from grief to hope. Now, Paul says this in verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Now, notice Paul says, I'm talking with you by the authority of what God has told me. I, I, I'm telling you what I received directly from the Lord. So what did Paul mean when he wrote that he received this directly from the Lord? Either there was something that the Lord had revealed directly to Paul, or it was a teaching of Jesus that had been passed down uh, orally by the apostles and other Christians. John tells us, I mean, we don't really know, but John says this, closing out his gospel. John 21, verse 25, it says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written so we, we know there's, there, there's more things that Jesus did and accomplished, and they're not even written down because, because there's too many things that Christ did while he was here to be written down. But nevertheless, there was no disputing what Paul was about to say. He wanted these believers to understand that neither the dead nor the living would be at any disadvantage with regard to the return of Jesus. That all believers will share the blessings of the resurrection. Those who have died are already with Christ and will be with him when he returns. And those who are alive, those who are still on earth when Christ returns, that will by no means precede those who have died. Now, I want to look at the phrase, when the Lord returns. Because I want us to understand, Christ is going to return. We believe in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you some information you might find interesting. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there are 20 times as many references to the second coming of Christ as there are to the first coming. That is, 20 times as many references to his coming as 
crowned king, seated upon the throne of David, ruling with the rod of iron, bringing victory and glory unto Jerusalem and peace on earth. There's 20 times as many references to this as to his coming as meek and lowly Jesus, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and, and bleeding as a slain lamb upon the cursed tree. There are 20 times as many references to his coming with a crown and honored and, 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 and worshiped by all the ends of the earth as to his coming with the cross, being wounded in the house of his friends. And yet the cross must always precede the crown. If you don't bear the cross, you won't wear the crown. He came with the cross, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53. And now he is coming with the crown, the Messiah and King of Isaiah 9-7 and Jeremiah 3-17. Isaiah 9-7 says this, his government and peace will never end. His rule and with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Who's going to make this happen? The King James says the zeal of the Lord. God's compassionate uh, commitment to his will. Jeremiah 3.17 says this, In that day Jerusalem will be known as the throne of the Lord. All the nations will come there to honor the Lord. There will no longer stubbornly follow their own evil desires. So not only did he come to the earth once to bear the sins of many, but listen to what the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 9 verse 28. It says, So also Christ was offered once and for all, time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many. He will come again. Did you hear me? The word says he will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Notice the posture, the posture of the saint waiting for him, anticipating the coming of the Lord. So as you're looking, and just some, some interesting facts in the Old Testament, 20 times more references to the second coming as to the first coming. And the first coming's already happened. The first coming's already taken place. We know Jesus came, uh, was, was crucified, buried, and risen again. And church, if that took place, we know that we know that we know because there's more references about his second coming than about his first coming. Guess what? He's going to return. Guess what? We, we got to be ready. We're looking for him. And what a day that's going to be. How many remember that old song? What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. The good news of the church today is Christ is going to return. And I am ready to see him. The New Testament declares his coming. And the 260 chapters of the New Testament, the second coming of Jesus Christ is, is referred to 318 times. The epistles of Paul, while referring to water baptism only 13 times, refers to the second coming 50 times. It's the blessed hope which the members of the church's body are told to comfort one another. We just read it in Thessalonians. Wherefore, comfort one another. And guess what? The last prayer in the Bible 
is a great heart-throbbing cry for his return. The last prayer of the Bible in Revelations 22:20 20 is this, even so come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. And then the answer still rings from heaven. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. See, the saints, believers, are to be looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said it this way, if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again. What could be plainer than this statement of the Lord? If I go away, I will come again. In Acts chapter 1, just a few days before the day of Pentecost, in chapter 1, verse 11, it says this, Men of Galilee, they said, as Jesus is ascending to the Father. The angel said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. One day Christ is going to return in the same way you saw him go. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So no wonder we don't grieve like the world grieves. No wonder, no wonder Paul is telling the Thessalonians, listen, you face, you face the challenges of, of death and dying differently than the world does. And then he says, listen, I want to transfer this DNA to you. I want you to understand, this is what we believe. We believe this. And then he says, understand, those who have died before the coming of the Lord. We who are alive are not going to prevent them. We're not going to, we're not going to be first in line. They're not going to miss anything. But all of us will be together. And he says, comfort one another. There's a word I want to, I want to, I want to define. It's, it's, it's imminent. Imminent. We believe in the imminent personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ as the only hope for this sin-filled world, war-torn world. Now that word imminent has been much misunderstood. By imminent, we mean that Jesus may come at any time. His second coming is an undated event as far as God's revelation is concerned. We don't know when he is coming, but we know that he is coming, and he may come at any time. Therefore, remember that while we look for him constantly, and he may come at any time, we teach that no man knoweth the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven. Nobody knows. So somebody begins to give dates, and somebody begins to say, you know what, on such and such date and such and date's year, the Lord's coming, guess what? <laughs> it might just be a false prophet, amen? No man knoweth the day or the hour. We believe in the imminent return can happen at any moment. Live your heart with a prepared attitude, prepared mind, not, not with restful watching, 
looking, anticipating while working, while serving, because we got a task to do. And our task is to preach this gospel to the ends of the earth. So how do we know the coming of the Lord is near? Are there some signs that can tell us things are near or close? In Matthew 24, Jesus gave, uh, among others, at least nine sure signs, which the Lord Jesus declares will precede his return. You'll notice verse five, it says, there'll be many who come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. So, so a sign is this, there'll be false, false Christ, false messiahs. Verse six tells us there'll be wars and rumors of wars. You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Another sign is this, verse seven, there'll be famines and pestilences. Nations will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be, uh, in verse seven, earthquakes in diverse places, be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. And you're hearing about this even today. You'll notice in nine, verse nine and 10, there's, there's, he says, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated by all, all over the world because you are my followers and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. There is such hatred for those who stand for biblical righteousness today. There is such hatred and, for those who stand for biblical truth. Listen. Verse 11, there'll be false prophets and deceivers. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many. Verse 12 tells us there'll be an increase of iniquity. It tells us also in verse 12 that sin will be rampant everywhere. Apostasy and love growing cold is going to happen. Love of many will grow cold is what verse 12 tells us. And verse 14 says, there'll be the preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world, so all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Church, I believe that there is, we're living in the day and age where the gospel can be preached to the ends of the world. With the technology that we have, you can go to some of the most poorest countries of all, and I went to one just a few months ago to Haiti in our hemisphere, the poorest country in our hemisphere. But guess what I found in the midst of all that poverty? Guess what almost everybody had? They had a cell phone. There's hardly not a place you can go in the world today that people don't have a cell phone. Technology is, is rampant. We have the greatest opportunity before us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the world. We can usher in the coming of the Lord. It could happen in our lifetime. That's why we support missions. That's why we raise up missionaries to proclaim the gospel of Christ because we believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We believe the time is short, so there's an urgency for the lost to hear the gospel. How can they hear unless somebody 
tells them. And how can they believe unless they hear? We must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we make no apologies for missions. That's why we're, we're dead set on raising millions of dollars a year, million dollars a year to give to missions. Why? Because we believe that's the heartbeat of God. And we believe it's our part in helping, helping to fast forward. You know, every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying for the coming of the Lord to take place. Do you know, every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. How can his kingdom come? There is no kingdom without a king. Amen? <laughs> the king's going to come. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wow. Remember, the Lord gave these signs to the disciples in answer to their question. The disciples had asked, tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answering said, take heed that no man deceive you. So before Jesus gave his disciples the signs of his coming, he admonished them against being deceived by man. He said that there was going to be an age of deception and false teaching, and then he gave the nine signs of his return. And church, could it be that we are living in the age of deception? Could it be that we're living in the age of false teaching? We must Get back to biblical teaching. We must get back to biblical preaching. We must preach Christ and Christ alone. We must be true in our doctrine. We must be solid in our foundation. And Paul told the Thessalonians, this is our hope. Our hope is this, the Lord himself will come down. So Paul assures the Thessalonians that the living believers have no advantage over the dead believers, for both living and the dead are in Christ and will be gloriously joined in glory to the glorious Lord. In fact, the order seems to be that the souls of the redeemed who have died will, will leave heaven and be joined with their new bodies before the resurrection of the living. There's no reason to grieve over the dead, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. And he says, with a commanding shout. The implication is this. It ain't going to be a quiet moment. It's going to be noise. It's going to be loud. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but the word says, a commanding shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God. I can tell you this. It's going to be loud enough that the dead are going to rise. <laughs> Doesn't matter where that grave is, in the depths of the ocean, the depths of the sea, the sea is going to give up that believer and they'll rise. It doesn't matter if this in the graves of the Antarctic, hear me, they're going to hear that trumpet sound and that believer is going to rise again. That's a loud shout, church, and what a day that's going to be says, first, believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are alive. 
Now notice, notice the, the teaching of Paul. Paul is writing this, we who are alive. And it shows you that they believe in the imminent return of Christ. That they believe that no doubt. Now a lot of people today say, you know what, you've been preaching this. I've been preaching this for years, hundreds of years. I've been preaching this for even a couple of thousand years. And where is Christ? I'm reminded of what Peter said. God is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness. See, the days in which Christ is going to return, he likened it unto the days of Noah. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah had preached, preached that it was going to rain, it was going to flood. Uh, he's building that ark. Everybody's living life, their own, even mocking him, even laughing at him. And they're giving and, and, and receiving in marriage, and they're just going on in life. And then one day, that preacher was right. And they found themselves consumed by the waves. Church, I want to be ready when Christ comes. I want to be ready. We who are alive and remain shall be called up to meet the Lord in the air. How many remember the old hymn of the church? There's going to be a meeting in the air. Anybody? Anybody? I thought y'all were... I thought y'all were believers. I thought y'all were Christian folk. <laughs> there is going to be a meeting in the air. And that sweet, sweet by and by. Going to meet you, meet you over there in my home beyond the sky. Such singing you hear, never heard by mortal ear. Glorious I do declare. God's own son will be the leading one at that meeting in the air. Y'all don't know that song? Y'all don't know that song? Man, listen, I'm telling you, these millennials, they're just taking over around here. Paul says, then we will be with the Lord forever. Notice this. This is to be a message of encouragement, not of fear. I'm going to be honest. Raised in church all of my life, the holiness message is a powerful message. It's a great message. We come out of that holiness message. I appreciate. That's my, that's my heritage. But the secondary message of that is it built fear and the enemy knew our weakness and knew my weakness, and he instilled fear. How many remember the movies? If you've been in church a long time, how many remember the movie Thief in the Night? You remember watching The Thief in the Night? Oh, my God. My daddy showed that every year on Sunday night. And, Lord, I had nightmares. Thief in the Night that the rapture took place and the preacher didn't make it. I'm telling you, the preacher didn't make it. He didn't. I'm traumatized, church. <laughs> but when I study Thessalonians, you know what Paul says? Wherefore, encourage one another with these words. 
The coming of the Lord is not to instill fear in you. The coming of the Lord is to encourage you to a life of, of holiness, to a life of sharing the love of Christ, to a life of, of, of hearing. We got the greatest message this world has ever heard. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Yes, the imminent return of the Lord, he's coming soon. So we have to share the gospel. We have to tell others about our faith, and we have to preach to them. But don't live in fear of the coming of the Lord. For we believe, listen to what Paul said, we believe Christ died, <laughs> that Christ was raised to life, we believe that he's coming again. For every believer has this hope. So encourage. So when I think about that encouraging one another, I think about walking life with each other. One's going through a difficult time. One's going through a hard place. And they get their eyes on the temporal. They get their eyes on the temporary things. They get their eyes and they forget about eternity Encourage that brother and say, hey, brother, remember, life is hard right now, but one day Jesus is coming again. Remind them of eternity. And church, we need to remind ourselves of the second coming of Christ. Life is difficult. It's easy to get, get focused in the moment, focused in what's happening. And, and sometimes we're overwhelmed with what's happening in, in life, but but hear me, encourage one another. You can make it, sister. You can make it, brother. Because listen, in this life we'll have trouble and sorrow, but Jesus is going to return. And those who have died in Christ are going to come with him. We shall be changed. That's the blessed hope. Wherefore, encourage each other. Can we stand tonight and just lift our hands toward heaven? And can we just give God thanks for the hope we have in Christ? Can you thank him that we don't grieve like the world grieves? We don't grieve like those who have no hope, that our hope is in Jesus. Now, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to encourage one another with this powerful, wonderful message. Lord, this powerful, wonderful gospel, help us encourage each other. Lord, to come alongside of each other and, and say, you can make it. Don't just look at the temporal. Don't just look at, at what you're going through. Keep your eyes upon the fact Jesus is going to return. Live for him. Lord, we thank you.